Okay, guys, welcome back to the Short Story Long Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Derrickson, joined by my co-host, Andrew Dial. What's up, guys? So, we're here to record another episode in the newly revamped studio, the Short Story Long Studio. Yeah, Sam, you've done a great job with this. What, what, I have done zero. What do you think about the new studio? Uh, I like it. Just every time we do one of these, it gets better. So, we've made a huge list of improvements, basically... Uh, decluttered the space and uh, added some comfy chairs. So we're, yeah. we're moving up in the world. Yeah, well, we got rid of the saw horses that their table was sitting on. The table has actual legs now, actual so that's a thing. Actual table legs. Um, moving you, up. You cannot beat that. So It's hard to. Uh, we got a couple emails and some feedback from some people, so we want to say thank you to that. Uh, I've got one from John Russell here. He says, hey, guys, thanks for all the laughs. You guys crack me up. Uh, we aim to please. You know, we want to make you laugh. We want to make you hopefully not cry. But if you cry, you know, let us know. Um, and then I had another friend reach out, Brandon. He says, uh, hey, I hope it's cool to tell you every week, but I'm digging the podcast. And it is very cool to tell me every week, even twice a week, if you want to tell me that. How about you, Dozer? Got any feedback? I did get some feedback. Uh, my uncle, they listened to it when they went to a uh, Packers football game and he thought it was a little bit too long the first one he really liked about 40 minutes and the second one was well over an hour he said kind of lost their attention so uh that's one thing we've been struggling with is what kind of length do we make this and when you have some people wishing it was longer and some people wishing it was shorter i don't know which direction you go with that i guess they can just look at the minute count on the spotify or whatever and decide if they want to listen or not i guess or just keep them short and people who want it longer can listen to two at a time quantity over quality maybe i don't know it's definitely that just throw enough shit at the wall something's bound to stick that's right um for the what's new segment what do you have that's new dozer well i'm gonna change it up on you okay uh, on what i told you i was gonna say what was new and my what new my what's new is going to segue into today's episode. Okay. So we have a Jeep trip coming up in November to Tennessee. I bought a new to me Jeep that someone else had built and it has just been a nightmare of rage. One thing after another. Yeah, I bought this what in June or July. That sounds right. Maybe May, definitely June. Bought it in June. And I've been working on it pretty steady. And I'm still going to be down to the wire to get it ready. So the guy who had this thing just absolutely just... Cobbled it together. Cobbled it together. And it looked good on the outside, but once you get into it, I mean, wires that were too long just coiled up. Every LED light you can imagine haphazardly wired. It's, it's just every bushing on it was wore out. And what really got me was the rear axle pinion was bent. Which I have never seen. I've, and I've talked to a few people and never even heard of it. And I was in a fit of rage and I called Sam Saturday. And I was like, we need to record this podcast right now while I'm in, in just... In rage mode? In rage mode, and we need to have a rage podcast. He's like, oh, well, I'm busy doing something else, so... Sorry about you. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do that. So that's how we came up with today's episode was shit previous owners have done to vehicles we've owned. There. So 
That will be coming up shortly. Yeah, so what's new with you, Samuel? What's new with me is I have been lightly property shopping. And this weekend I looked at two pieces of property that I wasn't incredibly interested in, uh, but still were very interesting to me. So one was actually owned by the estate from the guy I bought my GTX off of, Tony Griffith. He built a house about 10 years ago in Newton, and it's a geodesic dome. When I was growing up, my dad had a friend that lived in one, and I couldn't remember all the details, but apparently they're the best house you can build for, in his opinion, you know, numerous reasons. And after research, basically the strength of the structure and the efficiency of heating and cooling, air circulation and whatnot. So Tony built one in Newton and never lived in it for 10 years, and it was for sale so booked an appointment, went and looked at it, and this will segue into one of mine later, but the sum of its parts were less than the parts, if that makes sense. So everything about it was super high-end. It had a completely top-of-the-line geothermal system, had top-of-the-line oak hand, you know, custom-built cabinets, hardwood floors, solid wood trim, solid core doors, I mean... Everything about the house was top-notch quality, but every little thing just didn't really fit together right. So the one thing that really stuck out to my girlfriend was upstairs, every window was canted to one way or the other, and I can only assume to match maybe part of the structure because it's all made with triangles that form a mm -hmm. dome. And you didn't notice it at first, but it almost was like being in a fun house where everything was just kind of off and there was a kind of a hardwood. I don't know. A, not really a mural. It's a hardwood piece of the floor. Like mosaic. A mosaic. Something. Yeah, sure. But it was centered to the structure, but not to the room that it was in, ah. which really messed with your brain. So aesthetically not pleasing at all, but we walked through it and the taxes ended up being what more, a month than what I pay currently for my mortgage. So we passed on that one. And then the second one I looked at on Sunday is down in Noble, Illinois, which I found out after getting down there is where I bought my Comanche from. Okay. And it was advertised as a nuclear bomb shelter. And I don't really, I didn't put much stock in that. I was like, there's no way, you know, Southern Illinois, it's, it's gotta be something else. You know, there's some other story behind like this underground grain storage or something. Yeah. There's some other story going on here, but it did have big blast doors, you know, in the picture. So I, I, I got to see this. And the reason is when I was in high school, I took two years of drafting and design. Year one was all, uh, by pencil hand on paper on a drafting table. And year two was all CAD. And I, when I was in high school, I wasn't really interested in school, but that class I was very interested in. I, I just loved the whole design process and everything, but I really hated exterior views. And for a senior project, we had to design and build our dream house and have all the floor plans and do like four exterior views. And I thought, I'm going to beat the system. My exterior view is going to be, I'm going to build a Saturn missile silo into a house and my exterior view will be one little shed with a little tree <laughs> and my exterior views will be perfect. Well, the professor was like, uh, yeah, you're not getting off that easy. So he made me do a detailed floor plan of all 13 floors, uh, which backfired, but, Damn. but it was an absolutely amazing experience. So I had to go check this thing out. And the story behind it is AT&T had a North and South run 
and an east and west run. And they converged in Noble. And the United States government and the Cold War decided that in the event of a nuclear attack, we need to preserve the communication lines. So they paid AT&T to build this underground bunker, three foot thick floors, walls, and ceiling at least. And the entire structure is, I don't know, probably 10 feet below grade plus the height of the room. And there was all this equipment in there that they basically ran all the communications with and true to government form, you know, spent a crap load of money building it and maintained it for about a decade. And in the late eighties said, Hey, you know, the wall's down. Cold war's over. Don't need this no more. Right. So they sold it at auction and I believe everything got scrapped out of there. I'm sure there was a bunch of electronic and copper and stuff all got scrapped out of there. And then a gentleman bought it and he lived there from the early nineties until just last year when he passed away. And now the estate's selling the house and it was better than I could have imagined. It was just absolutely incredible. They had all the blueprints, all the floor plans. I mean, we're talking four big tables with stacks and stacks and stacks of books and, and floor plans, blueprints, everything from the electrical to the plumbing to the structure. And they had pictures of them actually building that back in the 70s. Oh, that's cool. Train car load after train car load of rebar. I did just quick, simple math. Again, simple math. Mm-hmm. Um, and came up with about two to 2,500 yards of just concrete to build the rectangle, not including any of the other structure or any of the other supporting stuff. There's a like probably a five to 10,000 gallon fuel tank underground still. Yeah. The generator's gone, but the fuel tank's still there. There's four seismographs on each corner of the property that in the event of a seismic event, i.e. a nuclear blast, locks the whole place down. I mean... Really? Oh my God, dude. Yeah, I can't even I can't even fathom what this place costs to build. And oh. today, I mean, it would be a couple billion with a B. Back in the 70s, at least half a billion, I'm sure. And it was just incredible. I mean, they I thumbed through and found a, a drainage and grading plan. And one of my biggest concerns was, I bet this thing would flood, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things when I was researching for the Saturn missile silo is if they're not maintained, you open them up 50 years later and they're, there's 50, 60 foot of water in them. Well, this place is actually built in such a way that the entire structure naturally drains about 100 yards away to a, a bottom and a creek. So you, I mean... No pumps or nothing? No pump. I mean, there are pumps, you know, auxiliary pumps, but it would naturally drain. And a man... If it was any closer to FAM, I'd own the son of a bitch because it was just that. What incredible. were they asking for it? Well, it was auctions, online auction. So when I, I, I think Kyle Willenberg tagged me in it and it was at like 65000 It's up to 95000 with uh, about a month left to go. I don't imagine it'll go too high because it's parceled off separate from about 26 acres that's on the same kind of area, mm-hmm. but it's going to be sold separately from the actual structure. So I would about have to have that if it was closer. Yeah. I mean, I. Kind of the nerd in me, like the prepper stuff. I mean, you you could live in there. You wouldn't. I mean, no heating, no cooling. As long as you had enough food and fresh water, my God, you could live forever there, like zombie apocalypse type situation. What gets me is like you just never know when there's a secret door to something else that nobody knew about. You know, there's just how how much you know history and 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 that's the thing is you know how many people knew about this up until 
I guess the guy that owned it was pretty proud of it and liked to show it off. He would tell anybody who would listen about his house underground. As would I. Um, but, I mean, the guy was eccentric, and that's what it would take for a buyer to be. And, and so are you as I'm, well. So I am eccentric. It'd be perfect. So, uh, so yeah, that's what I did this weekend. I'm not going to buy either property, but they were extremely fun to look at. Um, so, yeah. So, another little segment i want to start i got, got home there. i got home oh today. no I, I got home today oh is and, it 100 and no it's not 100 i got home today and opened the mailbox and the segment should be called do not prime and drink or drink and prime or something like that so i was having a conversation at the bar about how when I was younger, they used to have now, that's mm-hmm. what I call music. And there was like sure. two, five, you know, there wasn't that I many. I think I had two. I don't think I got one, but you had to buy them off a of TV back then. Yeah, they were on TV. So I was like, man, I wonder what they're up to. Probably like 500, you know. Right. So I just Google it and uh, I, I don't I think I saw like 236 or something like wow. that. Wow. And uh, then below that in Google, it said now, that's what I call dad rock. And I'm like, ooh, I bet this is good. Dad Rock? Dad Rock. And it was like Blink-182, Nickelback, oh, like no. stuff, stuff from our childhood, you know? And right. it kind of made me feel old. And then, uh, so it was an Amazon link. And then below that was now Classic Rock, 100 Hits. And I was just kind of like, oh, what was on this one? We got some Queen, some Def Leppard, you know, Leonard Skinner, Rod Stewart, Ario Speedwagon, Jefferson Airplane, Nickelback, Whitesnake. I Nickelback mean, is on Nickelback classic rock. Nickelback is on classic rock. So I was like, you know what? I need a new CD for the dart because I've had Journey's Greatest Hits in the dart for eight years. And I saw this was like $22 and I hit, you know, you know, buy now, Amazon, send it, you know. And it showed up today, and I was like, I forgot that I ordered this, but I'm really glad it's here. So maybe we'll buy some more stupid shit on Amazon and share it with you guys. I like it. How many tanks of fuel would it take to get through all 100 songs? Uh, Well, it doesn't really give me a length, but I would say, judging by what it takes to get through the Journey CD in my car, probably about two dozen. Okay. Not that my car gets that great a gas mileage, so... All right, so that leads us into our actual episode for the day, which is stupid shit previous owners have done. So Dozer kind of touched on his Jeep that he's working on right now. Um, I, I mean, you bought it without a working transmission. Correct. I needed a transmission, and I knew it had been off-roaded, but I just was not prepared for every single wear item on it to need attention like the bushings for the windshield wipers were wore out that's that's the, saying the, something. the bushing for the shifter cable where the shifter cable hits the transmission was wore out which by the way they have those in stock at autozone must be a thing but we're not yeah, talking that old a jeep it's an 07 right it's an 07 and and that's the wear isn't as big an of an issue as just some of the hackery i mean there was there's lights error lights drilled through the hood lights on the bumper lights on the back bumper and they're all haphazardly haphazardly wired there's rock lights and there's like three sets of rock lights and when one set would stop working they just wire a set over the top of the other ones and so it was like just a forest of wires underneath of it okay so 
on the lines of wiring, there's two huge no-nos. If you talk to anybody who does automotive wiring, number one is household wire nuts. Were there any of those? I, I knew this was coming. I do not think there was any wire nuts. Okay, because... No, there was. There, there was wire. There, there was one wire nut on the grounds of all the wires where they came together at the control box. For the lights. For the lights. Okay. Yes, the grounds were wire nutted. Then the other one, which is industry standard, unfortunately, especially in trailer manufacture, is what is called a scotch lock. And for those of you who don't know what a scotch lock is, it's essentially a piece of plastic with a little metal knife in it, and it sandwiches one wire that has power, and you can add a second wire to it, and it's they're horrible. I mean, they work for maybe a year. But any kind of grime, salt, water, anything gets in there and they just go to shit. So Yeah, let's cut the insulation open on our wires. It'll be perfect. Did it have any scotch locks? No scotch locks. Okay, so. Oh, there well, probably was. I just ripped so much stuff out. There may have been. Okay. So he just kind of went, you know, full retard and just got rid of all yeah, the I wires. Yeah, I gutted the wires. The It's a really neat control they put in it but i think it was made for razors that you all your lights and stuff are on one control panel like a solid state switch panel. right and all your relays and fuses are all together in one box but the box wasn't mounted it was just thrown in between the battery and like the whatever else is up there on the jeep the battery and and something else like the overflow tank oh yeah, the fuse block. Actually, it is a fuse block. Okay. And it was just thrown in there. If there was three foot of extra wire from the lights, it was coiled up and jammed underneath of it. Nothing worked. The the switch panel, you know, was universal. It was just different you know, switches. Drywall. It was yeah, the switches weren't labeled. The previous owner didn't know what switch did what. The, it was drywall screwed into the plastic pillar, you know, to, to make it work and and whatever. That's fine. I can I can take care of all that. But the the bent pinion is what got me for some reason. That sent me into a fit of rage. Possibly because the fact that it's nothing we've ever seen before. They're case hardened. They're supposed to break before they bend, or one would assume. Um, that's what everybody's telling me. But it was bent. So that that's a new one for us. But on electrical, on mine, my current truck with the flatbed, uh, we're talking about wire nuts and scotch locks, is basically all the taillights that thing are wired with. It's been working just fine for the past year that I've owned it. Um, I'm looking to put my regular truck bed back on it, and I was just kind of seeing what kind of rear taillight harness I needed to put regular taillights back on it, kind of poking around, seeing if I could find a bulkhead connector somewhere. Could not. Thought, Whatever. Left it. I was just parked. The next week, I was going to take it to Matt Toon to get these new podcast chairs. And uh, the light on the dash lamp out comes on. I'm like, that's interesting. Headlights on, flashers on, go around the back. Nothing. Not nothing. Crawled under it, wiggled, wiggled all the wires, still nothing. So parked it, used a different vehicle. Next day, came back, started tearing it all apart, and it's just full of scotch locks and wire nuts. I've got some power going to grounds, and I've just... Wow. It's, it's time to start I, completely fresh. I saw the Snapchat. It did not look good. It was not good. It that's not that's good. a that's like when you bird's nest a fishing reel. You just cut it all out and start, start over. Start over. Yep. And that's like the other thing on my, my Jeep, my orange Jeep, was just the amount of mud. When I got home, I power washed it for like an hour. 
And then me and Jason put the transmission in it, and still, there's just, anytime you get underneath it, if you touch it, just mud falls in your face. Whole floorboard's full of mud. Like, this guy must have never, ever washed his Jeep, which Jason's like that. Jason's like, oh, muddy Jeep's a cool Jeep. Like, not when you're working on it. Absolutely not. It's kind of the worst. I think I saw a TikTok on it once. They're working on uh, a truck or whatever, and some like an obviously exaggerated amount of dirt falls in his face. So he like puts safety glass on and like scoots out from underneath the yeah. truck and like still gets dirt in his face. That's Dude, what it feels it's, like. It's maddening. And like say, it's been washed. I washed it for like an hour. Plus I've been working on it for a month straight. I mean, there's a shovel load of dirt every time you work on it. And it's just always falling in your face and it's enraging. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've had off-road vehicles. Like there's, I've never fought this much mud. But, so well, this then, has to be years of mud buildup. Sure. So, um, wait, I shoveled mud out of the cow when we fixed the bushings on the wiper arms. Jesus. Yes. So the episode is stupid shit from previous owners. I went through my whole list of vehicles I've owned, which I keep on my phone and tried to compile a list of things that I bought that just had a one or two things that either enraged me or made me shake my head. And what I decided to exclude from the list on each individual individual vehicle, but yet include in the podcast, is collectively on everything I've ever bought. Um, number one is obviously junk and trash. I mean, I've bought multiple vehicles with literal trash. I mean, yeah, I don't Wendy's get that. cups. Yes, you don't. You don't. You don't understand. Oh, you don't. You understand oh, I, why yeah, they do that? No, no. Yeah, I don't understand why they do it. I I get it all the time. Okay, so I mean, I mean those are the best deals. People don't clean their stuff up. They're just lazy. Want it gone. But. So I've found multiple. You know, aside from trash and garbage, I found a whole bunch of different like wasted. You know, like cell phone chargers, uh, cell phone stands. You know, the USB adapters for cigarette lighters. Um, now recently COVID masks have been showing up in oh, junk vehicles. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, uh, what else? Uh, oh, black ice Christmas tree air fresheners. <laughs> that is the number one My thing. My K2500 had those. So like 20 <laughs> of them. So, and it's funny. I bought a while back a maroon second gen Cummins Dodge and you open it up and I described it as it smells like a second gen Cummins and everyone's like, well, what is that? So you know exactly what a second gen Cummins smells like every single one, way too many black ice air fresheners, um, skull or Copenhagen, um, which there's dip spit cans still in there bottle, you know, Mountain Dew bottles sealed up. Right. Uh, I think there was a couple big red, half empty, big red, uh, stuff in there. And then like those, uh, the little round jelly type air fresheners underneath mm-hmm. the seats and then way too much Axe body spray. All that smell melded together could be sold as an air freshener called second gen Cummins. I agree. I mean, I guarantee you. you My could, K2500 was the same thing. You could Just sell a million. Some bro owned it, had, you know, the barbed wire graphics down the side. The and ba- barbed wire pinstripe. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it had the sticker mm-hmm. on the back said something about show me your boobs or something like that. Oh, yeah. 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 4,500 black ice air fresheners. And the Calvin pissing on something, whether it be the Ford logo or the yes, Chevy logo. Or the government or yeah. gun control. Oh, yeah. Everything. So we'll exclude those from each individual vehicle, but just know that as a part of our automotive experience it's something that they all have 
Yeah, I don't I don't get the trash thing. Like clean your vehicle if you're going to list it for sale. The what was I had one that was bad. I mean, they're all bad it seemed like. My the I've had a couple WJs that were just horrible. Absolutely horrible. Yeah, my K2500 was nasty. I do remember that. And then the Jeep, that orange Jeep, the guy, when the transmission went out, he like walked away from it. Like there was SD cards for his cameras cameras, and, and everything. But what I needed, of course, the, the tool for the lug nuts wasn't, was wasn't in, in there. there but well, why would it be? Yeah. But there was a, you know, a thing of compasses from Quadratech in there. and Which, which you know. We we buy a lot of what I would consider a shit box, which a shit box to me is something that is lower end on the automotive scale. It may be a higher end model. You know, when it was new, it was a nice vehicle, but it's just been so mistreated in its life that it just becomes a pile of shit, aka a shit box. And it's not just reserved for those shit boxes to find stuff in. So in my profession I go to many car dealerships and any car dealership that deals with trade-ins has this same experience. And I share in this experience with the technician, uh, shout out to AJ. Uh, he's a listener. He works at Northside and every trade-in vehicle, he goes through and makes sure wheels are good. Brakes are good. Tires are good. And you know, if it needs anything, he's the guy that gets it ready for sale. And part of that is he kind of goes through them, doesn't detail them, but he gets all the crap out of them. And he showed me one time, he's got a stack of like, minivans, especially. He said, minivans are the worst. Which, talk to any car detailer, he'll the same, say the same thing. Minivans are the worst. But he's got a stack, probably four foot high, of Disney DVDs. Oh, man. <laughs> because of all the entertainment, you right. know, DVD players. And he's got, he's got like a shrine of like, the shit you hang from your rearview mirror, like uh-huh. crosses and little pendants and dream catchers and stuff. And he, has, he, he doesn't save the air fresheners, but he's got, he's, he's shown me pictures of just absolutely crazy amounts of stuff that he's found in, in different vehicles. So it's not reserved for just the junk that we buy. I know I got that OBS Ford, that 97 F two fifty. like the kid left. There was like a cross in there. He got, for our high school graduation that said like be drive safe, love mom. That was still in there. All kind of stuff. Like people just, I guess they just, when they're done with it, they just walk away. Like don't even clean it out. Just done with them. Like that, like I said, I don't even know what was on that orange Jeep. Just all kind of just knives and you know, it was all junk. I threw most of it away anyway, but whole thing of ketchup packets in the center console. The, I just bought that white, grand cherokee and there was a whole like usb power bank in there i was like this is nice like why would you leave this in in a vehicle you know i did find that uh that blue xj i had had a the five speed yes okay had a gift certificate or a gift card to dairy queen that had like three dollars and fifty cents on it nice that's a win that's a win so uh i i kind of like i said i went in order on the list of vehicles that I've owned and my very, very first vehicle was that 66 commando, this, the Jeepster. And it was not really had a whole bunch of dumb stuff done to it. Um, but it was my first vehicle. I was just ignorant to the fact of how stuff worked. And I remember it's, I guess it's a thing, but it had a AMC 20 rear end in it with lockout hubs in the rear. And I remember thinking, why 
are there worn lockout hubs in the back of this vehicle? Yeah, that was a thing. But it was a, it was a thing back in the day because I, I was it because you could run a traction aid and then unlock a hub. I or? assume because they made the rears full float since they were two piece axle shafts anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that was more to do the hubs or for like flat towing. Like if okay. you have a flat tow, you can unlock the rear hubs. And... Hmm. Anyway, so that didn't really have much hackery on it. I mean, it, it was, I mean, just like anything else, it was an old vehicle. And I think the main thing wrong with it was the plug wires were not in the correct order. So it didn't really run, but on four cylinders on a V6 and uh, after re rewiring the plug wires it ran okay but i think the worst thing about it and the reason i got rid of it was i was young and dumb i was you know 17 18 years old well younger than that 16 or 17 took it to badlands and very first thing when you get well not anymore they got rid of it but in the bottom of the like parking lot area they had these big ponds you could drive through they were i don't know three four foot deep Mm -hmm. and i remember first thing i was like i'm gonna go drive through this pond badass you know and i drive through the pond and the bottom of the radiator was kind of hung from the core support the bottom of the radiator was like not zip ties but like bailing wired in Mm -hmm. and the force of the water hitting the radiator when i plunged through the pond broke the bailing wire and pushed the radiator into the fan the fan cut a giant circle in the radiator lost all the coolant first five minutes of the day my day was over I was so mad. I sold it and my CJ5 to my cousin and my uncle, both of them for 500 bucks. That's how mad oh, wow. I was. Yep, yep. So that, I'd give you that for it. Right? So the CJ5, since we talked about it, was an 85. And just prior to this wheeling trip, true to fashion, I procrastinate and do everything last minute. And we were trying to get my CJ ready to go. Is a CJ5, and I was a big kid. And I couldn't fit behind the steering wheel. No power steering. Had a great big steering wheel. So I actually, since it had so much lift, I actually cut the inner fender out of the tub and moved the seat back like four inches. And I was getting that all buttoned up. I bet and ready that to go. was done with some quality. It was done with super quality. Miller Flux Core Wire Welder. Perfect. Oh. Um, anyway, so at my cousin's house down the road, um, we got it all buttoned up, tuned up, ready to rock and roll. This was like a couple days before the wheeling trip. Take it down the alley. And it had a 304 AMC V8 and glass packs out the side, cackling, oh, yeah. cackling, cackling the pipes. pipes. And uh, I went to, I didn't really dump the clutch, I don't think. Maybe I did. I don't know. But it had a cracked axle shaft in the back, another AMC 20. And that axle was not full float. And found out really quick why full float is a good idea because it snapped the axle shaft at the break backing plate and uh it fell on its face (laughs) in the middle of the alley just completely distraught like i had this whole plan to go wheeling with my my family and not gonna happen now so then thrashed to get the commando done took it out first five minutes a day day over is that where my radiator came from my radiator actually came from before that i put a uh i can't remember what it was in but i I was shooting BB guns in the front yard with a friend of mine, with Joe. Me and Joe were shooting BB guns in my front yard, and uh, he he was shooting a BB gun, and it like bounced off of a bumper or something and hit the radiator and started springing a leak on the radiator, and uh, he looked at me like in shock, like, oh no, I'm in trouble, and the only thing I could say was my radiator, <laughs> which is a throwback to Fox and the Hound. Shout out to Disney for that one. 
Um, but no, that wasn't, that was the radiator deal. But yeah, so I sold both of those Jeeps to my uncle and my cousin for 500 bucks. I was done wheeling. I was done. I was over it. I'm going back to video games. Wheeling is stupid. Yes. Absolutely over it. So what's yours, Doze? You got another one? Well, since it's most recent, you're talking about losing wheels. That orange Jeep, when I was doing the ball joints on it, I noticed that the passenger front tire had different lug nuts and a different wheel spacer than the rest of the Jeep. And I kind of got had it taken apart and looked down and the, the rotor is ground flat on one side. So this Jeep has obviously lost a wheel at some point as well. And the reason that he's so familiar with the way that looks is because he had a YJ with an LS. Two of them. Two of them. Yeah, the black one lost a wheel and my dad's blue Jeep lost a wheel. Okay. And the rotor grinding mark was identical. Luckily, with a YJ and leaf springs and sway bars, you don't have enough flex for the rotor to hit the ground. Oh, okay. But on a JK, apparently you do. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then the next one for me would be for a long time, my daily driver was a 96 Jeep Cherokee XJ. Oh yes. And I bought it from, was it Ryan's cousin? Ryan's uncle. Ryan Brandt's uncle sold me this Jeep and Which Ryan is a listener. So shout okay, out, shout out to Ryan. And it, it's not a super common thing, but you see him where they, cut the back half of the Jeep off and make it more of a truck style. And they cut the rear hatch in half and slide it forward right behind the back seat. And it's actually a pretty cool look when you get it done. But this one in particular used pressure treated wood for the bed. Part of a garage door, I believe. Part of a garage. So below the back window was garage door. And then the floor was the actual floor of the back of the jeep and then the sides and the top of the bed quote unquote was pressure treated plywood tongue and groove if i remember it correctly. was it was like deck material and then the tailgate was tongue and groove wood with two like barn gate, latches gate latch yeah. barn latches and i drove the freaking balls off of that i drove that everywhere for several years and uh put a stainless steel header on it yeah. and a, and and, a and 98 put- and up intake on it horseshoe intake and you put the the handicap bathroom stall grips on the back of that, it. That was my dad's idea, but yeah. So we put the stainless steel bathroom handicap stall like bars as like kind of those the Lund bars that you see on pickup trucks and stuff. And it actually didn't look too terrible, honestly. People love them. People eat, are those are those shitter handles. Those are shitter <laughs> handles. Um, and. That Jeep was probably the, one of the best running Jeeps I've ever oh, had. Oh, it would scoot. And uh, I beat the shit out of it at Mudfest. I took it to Badlands a couple times. It's one of the counterweight pictures Dozer has of me. We need to put a uh, collage up of that. We'll, we'll have to get on that this week. Oh, do you remember on that Jeep when you uh, were at my house and Henrietta Street and you revved it up off the rev limiter for like 30 seconds? And then when you let off of it, it backfired and blew the whole muffler off of it. I do remember that. And then we put the the Raptor muffler from O'Reilly's on it. Yes. Yep. And I then Laren's friend Brittany was over, and she was in the house in the shower. And when it backfired, it was so loud. She said it scared her in the house in the shower. And then I towed uh, 
Cody's toy hauler trailer with it after uh, Jason would not because yes. he was afraid of his rear springs. Yes. And, and so my stock XJ, I pulled it with a hitch that was barely hanging on. I pulled it. I think it's just like a few feet down the driveway. But Remember the fuel pump went out on that? And it was like going out, going out, going out, and you're beating on it, and it died at O'Reilly's, and I brought a 2 by 4 to O'Reilly's, and you beat on it in the parking lot of O'Reilly's for like a minute with a 2 by 4 and then it never gave you grief again. You, you never changed that fuel pump after that. I do remember that. And then I also remember, um, no, it was a different Jeep. I, uh, I sprung a leak on the heater hose that runs down alongside the valve cover, and it was just hemorrhaging. I mean, it was just yes. spraying coolant everywhere. And the only thing I had to fix it, I had, and shout out to Jason. He carries a maglite everywhere he goes. I took the tube of a maglite, took the whole maglite apart, top cap, this bottom cap. This is like cap. a little pocket maglite, like that yeah. had double A's in it. Yeah. And uh, I actually used it as a splice in the heater hose, and it was there until it's still there today. Possibly I'm, to this day. To, to this day. And then, um, which. Then at a mud fest, we, which this is getting off the rails of previous this hours. Is this, off the rails. this is more this dumb is shit. sketchy shit we did. We not sketchy shit other people did. <laughs> but last one, um, yeah, still get it back together. Still on there today is uh, the distributor cap got water in it. Yeah, at mud fest. So we cut an Andrew Dial Jedco Huggy apart and zip tied it as like a water shield around the distributor. Still there to this day. Wow. All right, is it my turn? Yep, your turn. So, the freshly rebuilt 302. This isn't something that I necessarily got done on a car, but last spring, I bought a 302 small block Ford at the Altamont Swap Meet, freshly rebuilt. It looked like it. Gaskets were fresh. Paint was fresh. Had the, you know, Jasper little heat button on the side of the block, new freeze plugs. It looked I mean, mint. It looked freshly rebuilt. $200. Can't go wrong. I needed the accessories on it, the oil pan, all that. We loaded it up, got it home, and I was just going to put it in the corner. And Sam's like, let's get this tore apart. And well, what do we turn up over? Well, let's see if it is rebuilt. I don't know. Why did, Why you even wanted to tear it apart? I don't know. But we pulled the drain plug, I think. Did we pull the oil pan drain plug? It is all water. We're like, yeah. we're like oh, no. That's, that's not good. Then pulled a spark plug. And it was complete rust. And mud. It was mud. It was mud. Yeah, which I think was from a mud dauber, actually. Right. I don't think it ingested mud. Uh, but I think it's from Mud Dauber and pulled the heads off and four out of the eight cylinders were completely full of water in their defense. It looked freshly rebuilt. There was break in lube on the cam. There was assembly lube on the bearings. It was a brand new motor that somehow got water in it. Sat outside, you know, val- there's no carb on it. had a, like a brand new Edelbrock intake on it. I mean, $200, I didn't get hurt, but it was a junk, but it had been freshly rebuilt that I don't know how it got water in it. They, they did not technically lie. Not a lie. So then um, a few different times I've had vehicles that had a different uh, front Gear ratio versus rear gear ratio. Why does ratio. this keep happening? <laughs> it's happened to me several times. Um, so, yeah. The first time it happened was in my 89YJ. It had higher, faster gears in the front than it did in the rear, which, come to find out, it's a mud thing, and it was built as a mud truck, so that's really no surprise. 
Um, basically, I guess the idea is that so your front end pulls the rest of the vehicle through the mud, um, so it's not trying to plow mud, I guess. But it took me a long time to realize a couple of issues that that caused, um, but it's happened a couple of times. Um, it's happened in a Grand Cherokee before, and most famously it happened in my Comanche. In a leaf spring vehicle, it's not so much of a big deal with the front end pulling the rear end faster. Um, it just kind of would wear the tires a little more, a little more strain on the transfer case. But in the case of my Comanche that was linked front and rear, it had a higher ratio in the back than it did in the front, which caused in hard, solid pavement, the front end would be going slower than the rear end and the jeep would try to collapse on itself and at it Badlands, lifted the jeep up it lifted the jeep up and like canted it all the way to the side just driving down the road and it was the strangest thing i don't even randy's brother russ was in there with you and he jumped out. he's like get me out of this thing it was like the first time he'd ever been wheeling yeah so so that's a thing that keeps happening to me and uh from from then on we called that jeep crazy bitch yeah kb, KB. for short um so Shout out to KB. It's out there somewhere getting the shit wheeled out of it. Yeah, Jason saw it on YouTube. So I guess they've seen it on YouTube. They're, I, uh, they're, they're out there wheeling it for this all the time. They're out there wheeling it. Uh, so if you're a listener, I want to buy it back. So shout out to that guy. Um, yeah, you do. Oh, hell yeah. I'd it was it for sale a while back. Why didn't you buy it? Or I, was it already sold? I tried to contact the guy. He would never message me back. Then it ended up selling. So anyway. Wow. Um, yeah. So back to the YJ, it had. The I, bet different, they, I bet they could do an episode on previous shit previous owners did. That's for sure. There's there, yeah. They could. They could. So you are invited. We'll do a Zoom call. You can be a guest on the podcast. We'll have a gay old time. So it's in Texas still, I think. Yep. So different gears. It had a uh, four by six tube steel transfer case drop. Um, which acted as a nice plow when you were going over obstacles to get hung up on. And it had groundhogs, uh, which are a classic. If I was building... Which we're talking about your YJ still. Still talking Again, about the YJ. I guess. Yeah. Um, groundhogs, 40-inch groundhogs, which measure 35s. Um, and the hardest rubber compound on earth, I'm pretty sure. And it had a three-inch body lift on top of a 12-inch suspension lift. Uh, it was it was a monster. It was monstrously awful. Um, but probably the most uniquely useless piece of previous owner engineering was it had a GM corporate 14-bolt rear end, which is a large one-ton truck axle. Full float. It is full float, eight lug. And for those of you that do not know, full float refers to the axle shaft bolts in from the outside of the hub, and you can take the axle shaft out, but the wheel stays in the wheel bearings. It has its own wheel bearings separate of the axle shaft. So somebody cut these normal heavy-duty 8-lug outers off of this axle and welded on four nine inch outers in five on four and a half lug pattern to five match. on five and a half yeah five on five and a half to match the big ford or jeep big jeep lug pattern and it i was back to pirate four by four it took me a couple of weeks of you know on on pirate like hey guys can you tell me what axle i have and i don't even think i was a paid member i didn't have a a, a 
Google Pixel account or whatever to upload pictures. I had no idea how the internet even worked back then. And I was like, hey, guys, I've never seen this axle. And I'm Googling it. And I can't find it out. You know, like, what, what's the deal? Like, what axle is this? And I, they said, well, post a picture of your diff cover. Post a picture of diff cover. GM 14 bolt all day. Any Chevy guy can see that a mile away knows exactly what it is. Like, you dumbass, it's a GM 14 bolt. Like, okay, well, explain to me the drum brakes because they're like small and it's five lug. And people were just bewildered. They had never seen anything like this. And it was just this most absolutely asinine axle ever where I don't know. What were they thinking building it? I have no idea. But $100 say Twin City built that. I guarantee you because the guy that owned it was like brothers or cousins or something with the guy that owned Twin City. But that was one. That's some stock car stuff. The dirt track guys do that kind of fuckery. Yeah, it must be. Um, So then another one I have back to the MJ uh, being different gears, the crank position sensor caused a whole mess of problems. It would just randomly not want to run in reverse. It's when you put it in reverse, it even just, if you didn't let the clutch out. It just wouldn't wouldn't run in reverse. And I equated that to maybe when the rear end was pulling away from the front end, just barely misaligned that crank position sensor just enough it wouldn't run. And my solution to get the vehicle to run in reverse was let's put a draw-through propane turbo setup on it and completely waste two years of my life and it worked but that's how i fixed the crank position issue is i just ran it off a distributor no computer and propane and a turbo because i remember sitting at animet and uh i was working third shift at the time i believe and i was thinking i'm gonna put this thing on propane i've got this hei distributor it'll work just fine and uh the only problem is is the Jeep doesn't have that much power to begin with. And propane has a, is it higher, right? Higher BTU count? Lower. Lower it's got BTU lower count. Power. Um, so at the same compression ratio, it makes less power output, but it, it responds well to higher compression um, because it's a higher octane, even though it's a lower BTU. So, you know, how do I get higher compressions? Well, I put different pistons in it, put some different rods in it. Like, I don't want to tear into this engine. So instead of raising my static compression, I'll just raise my dynamic compression. I'll put a turbo on it. That was the thought process that went through my head over a one-night shift period at Animate. I was going to just just do it. I mean, it couldn't be that hard, and it, it ended up being very hard. So, But it wasn't at the same time. I mean, it worked 100% of the time, 99% of the time, right. 95% of the time. Something like that. It worked, and I've heard from some people to say, that'll be another episode apparently upsets some people so i can't really say that but that jeep could be a whole episode right so what's but, the, but what stands out to me is on that jeep at the factory stamped steel transmission cross member in it that they welded the front suspension mounts oh, to the yes. whole I front totally end forgot about the this. whole front end of that jeep was held in with four 10 millimeter bolts so we bought this thing a couple weeks before a wheeling trip with your cousin greg down at flat yes. nasty no, Dirty Turtle. Oh, yeah, Dirty Turtle. Sorry. and uh, Do what you like, what you do. And we went to your uncle's house, and I pulled the front diff covers full of mud. Yeah, chocolate milk. Um, and we I wired up some lights because it was a night run, my first ever night wheel or whatever. And we, we just thrashed on this thing for a whole day before we went wheeling. 
and it ripped the cross member bolts out of the frame. Just but it turns out the whole front suspension being connected to the factory transmission cross member held in with four bolts. Four 10 millimeter bolts was not ideal whatsoever. And it had full hydraulic steering, which in a wheeling rig is cool, except they used some kind of tractor orbital valve yes. and a giant ram, which the ratio between single ended ram the ratio between the displacement of the orbital valve and the displacement of the ram caused for like a 37 lock to lock steering spin you know you spin the wheel 37 times to get from full lock left to full lock right but it'd go faster one way than the other i don't remember why that was but because it, it of would... the ram you got on the other way you've got the ram taken up Oh, the the chrome right, portion right, of the ram takes right. up volume, so it would like turn really slow one way, and then the other way it was fast. I do remember that now. So yeah, that's so, why people use double-ended ramps. Gotcha, makes sense. So pro tip: if you're building a hydraulic steering setup, go with a double-ended ram. See, this is educational. One hundred percent. What's another one that you had some shit with? So this isn't necessarily a shit previous owners did, but one time I was driving through Mattoon and there was a used car dealership up there, kind of by where your dad used to park his boat. And there was a landscaping F-350 with a Dana 60 in it that was a snowplow truck and it was the rustiest truck I'd ever seen in my life. But I was like, hey, Dana 60. So I I don't remember what I gave for it. Maybe eight, nine hundred dollars, maybe less than that. I don't know, but. I bought it because I had one-ton axles, and I got it home, had some family issues. Well, we had our first child, and, and that didn't go real well, and I was like, I'll just sell it. Don't need it. It was sitting at Jedco. My dad wasn't very happy about it. I think we got the motor running. had a 351 in it. Was this the white one or the brown one? The white one. We did burnouts in it. No, no, no. This is, That was an F-250. This was, oh. I don't know if we ever even seen it. I may not have. So this thing was so rusty, I sold it to Scott. I can't think of his name. I think his name's Scott. But anyway, he drives for FedEx. He drives a FedEx semi here in Effingham. And he bought it because he's a big Ford guy. Heck yeah, Dana 60. He went and loaded it up. We were in the hospital with uh, our first child. And... He sent me a picture when he got it home. He unloaded it and the truck broke in half. Okay, I remember that picture. I never did see the truck. You're yeah, right. Yeah, the truck broke in half. Is that rusty? That's that's impressive. So. Oh, man, but, I've yeah. got so many more. Um, I know. I, I, I have a decent list as well. So my 2000 XJ that I had, I've had a bunch of these things. Uh, I actually bought it first for Joe, a buddy of mine that was in the Marines, he was getting home and was just had to have a Jeep because I was a big Jeep guy and we were big buddies and he just wanted to have a Jeep. So I searched for a while to find him one. We went and picked it up. I think you and I did. Yeah, it was up by up north, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It was by the and, river, I know. Yeah. And again, second gen Cummins air freshener. I mean, everything about it, dip cans, black ice, all of it. And it was, just, it was that guy's... That was my Jeep, but I had to sell it, you know, for my family. It's not a Jeep, it's an XJ. Yeah. So we bring we bring it home and it had a couple things. Typical XJ stuff. The blower motor resistor was bad. It's like melted out of it. That's how every all of them are. Which lucky for you, I was buggying my Cherokee at the time, so I think I had all that that yep. went into yours. And uh it was missing. I do remember this for a fact because it was like this the day I sold it. It had a broken like air conditioner vent 
and you're like, you can have the one out of my dash. I'm not going to use it. And it had Badlands mud in it from being splashed into the window. And mm-hmm. that same mud, I never cleaned it off. Same mud was in that vent to the day I sold it. It's poetic. Um, it is. So anyway, it had a bunch of just little odds and ends, just screwed up radio and just trash everywhere. And we fixed the blower motor resistor, just a couple of odds and ends, getting it ready for them. But we decided to do an oil change. Yes, and, I remember this. And we had just the thin O'Reilly's seven quart oil pan. Pull the drain plug, fills up the oil pan, still filling up. Now, did before we did that, did we pull the dipstick and it was yes, like yes. way up the dipstick? It was like this isn't right. Like, this is inaccurate. Yeah, something's wrong with this dipstick. Like I don't know yeah, what it would be, but put a four cylinder dipstick in this or something because it was up it. Yeah, all the way up to basically the top of the tube, and so like, well, let's do an oil change. So. Fills up the seven core oil pan to you know normal level. It's still filling and still filling. And, and if you've ever done your own oil change, you can kind of tell when it's starting to get low in the oil pan because the stream kind of changes or whatever. And it's about to overflow. So I hurry up. I throw the drain plug back in it. And we dump the oil out into whatever bigger container we had. Put it back under the Jeep. Drained it another seven quarts. Well, you missed the... Wouldn't it be funny if there's like 14 quarts in this? I think is what I said. And and there was. There was at there least was... 14 quarts of oil in it. And the best that I can figure is that there's a little oil pump light or oil can light that comes on when your oil pressure drops below a certain level in Which a Jeep. Every clapped out four liter has low oil pressure at idle. And it's a mixture between the engine just having low oil pressure and the oil pressure switch going bad. Um and so my assumption, my best guess is anytime that light came on, the previous owner assumed that meant add oil. Add oil. So, yeah, it had at least 14 quarts of oil in it. And how that motor didn't... You, you never knew. I mean, it run like a top. And, and I, I just don't understand how it didn't get so much windage that it... I, I don't know if it can, can hydro lock from underneath or not, but if it if it's it must not be a thing or it needs way more oil than it had. You know, everybody gets real oh overfilling a motor is just as bad as, as running it low. Well but I'm I don't here to know tell about you, that. Not on a four liter. Yeah, at definitely, least that. Definitely not on a four liter. So what's your next one? So my my big one is when I had my sixty five Mustang, it wasn't fast enough to make me happy. It was too radical for my wife to enjoy it. So I thought, well, if my wife isn't going to drive it anyway, I might as well get a drag car. So I put it up for sale and end up trading a guy up by Kenosha, Wisconsin. I think his name is Steve Brown. If you're listening to this, screw you, dude. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got up there. I had to come to him. You know, he had medical issues and, and blah, blah, blah. So, the story was is a '88 notchback Fox Body Mustang, gorgeous car. Probably should never sold it. It was beautiful, it, it, and and Bossman is mad that you didn't talk more about this car. So oh, here you go. Shout out to Bossman. Yep. So the deal was the story was a roller rocker came apart on it, and it had a 460 Ford big block in it, had a big Dominator intake, Cobra Jet. Uh, intake, which is bigger ports. And he had a roller rocker come apart on it. Needle bearings went into the oil pump. He shut it off before anything happened. Because of his physical ailments, you have to pull the motor out of the car to get the oil pan off a big block in a Fox body. Said he couldn't work on it. Needed to trade it for something that was running. 
which I mean, the guy was like four foot tall and three hundred and some pounds. Good God! His I'm, I think I remember his like ears were tattooed. Like he had like the green. Okay. He had like the Green Bay's Packers, you know, tattooed that, on his ears. That is serious commitment. That's to a your dead. Team. That's a dead giveaway. Yes. The member that the fat rolls on the back of his neck were tattooed. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm just setting the scene. You know. All right. Painting the picture. So, my wife and my father-in-law and. Uh, we load up the 65 Mustang and head up to Kenosha, Wisconsin. And, um, we get up there, you know, the car's out in the, out in the yard, you know, can I hear it run? Oh no, no, you can't hear it run. Um, you know, the, the, there's needle bearings in, in the oil pan. You don't want it to run. Like it'll turn over, but you don't want to start it. Okay. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. So I show him the car. He's like, okay, cool. I, I think maybe he drove it. I don't know. And That's bullshit. He could see yours run, but not the other way around. Right. Well, you know, he had a good story to go with it. Needle bearings, you know. Yeah, you know the needle bearings, how they is. So we loaded the car up, and he's like, hey, I've got an extra motor for this car if you want it too. Sure. So we back around, load up this 460 big block. No problem. And we get that all loaded up and he's like, Hey, I got something else for you. And I was like, what's that? And he hands me a package of freeze plugs. He goes, I just had these laying around. I'm never going to need them. How does a guy have just freeze plugs laying around? Freeze for plugs. A- okay. So I had a car lift at my old house. RIP. Dr- yeah. We, we, uh, drug the car home, got it up on a car lift. Dude, I was so excited. This car is so awesome. You know, big old dominator carb sitting on top had, uh, you know, drag radials and back skinnies in front, all like AJE suspension or whatever. It was sweet. So I pulled the headers off of it and then pulled the starter off of it so I could get it off the transmission. And when I pulled the starter off of it, there's no freeze plug underneath the starter. Mm-mm. Weird. So I got to looking and the block was cracked. This motor had obviously froze up. Okay. And then you're like, well, this guy had a thing of freeze plugs and had another engine to go with it. Like, he obviously knew this was an issue. Yeah, he knew he had a junk engine and he was going to replace it. So, whatever. So, you know, he said it's got, uh, so there's two different rods on a big block Ford. There's football rods and square rods. Football rods come in the car, which is the shape of the head on the rod bolt. Okay. And they are stronger. The square rods are not as strong. So it's got football rods. And he said it had DOA heads, which is this 1960s heads. They're like the most desirable stock heads. Sure. And it did. It did have those heads, but he had roller rockers on it, but they weren't machined. Like you're supposed to machine the surface down where the rockers bolt. And it wasn't like he had like roller rockers on like a pedestal mount head. Okay. And like, that's not a thing. Not supposed to do that. So I tore the engine apart. The oil pump rod looked like a candy cane. It was twisted up so much. Oil pump full of needle bearings. So, oh yeah, got it shut off in time. I bet you did. The bearings were black on the car. So he had not get it done. Yeah. He had ran it for a while. So, Okay, whatever. Get to looking. Half football rods, half square rods. Not good. 
So it just wasn't anything he said it was. I told him I was pissed. I messed him. I was like, I'm parting this car. No, no, don't part it out. It's too nice to part out. Like I just basically parted it out just to spite him. Yeah. So I sold all the big block Ford stuff, sold uh, the car to a guy named Jim Gray over by St. Louis. Uh, he does a lot of hot rod and stuff. I think he works at like Jerry Bickle race cars or something now. He put an LSA motor in it, which is a supercharged LS motor. Good Super deal. cool. But anyway, took all that money, paid off my wife's student loans. Sucked, but probably wouldn't be where we're at today. That's if adulting. I done it. That's adulting, unfortunately. But, uh, probably a blessing in disguise, but that was the one thing, like just every turn I took, it was just bad news mm-hmm. on that car. Yeah. So I think I ended up getting like $8,000 parting that out though. That's not bad. What, well, you traded cash and your 65 for it, right? I think it was even up. Okay. okay. I think. So didn't really make out, but didn't really lose that much. Correct. Okay. Okay. I mean, I would have probably took 8000 for my 65. Sure, yeah. Just minus your time and everything else. Yes. So, full circle to uh, what's new this week, I looked at that geodesic house and the sum of its parts or whatever. So, uh, Boss Man and I had a 2003 international toter home. Um, and to this point, we had... I had a couple of living quarter gooseneck trailers that we had built into a little bit nicer setup and we decided toter was the way to go. So he and I bought this camper and we got a couple different stories on it. I can't really remember exactly what the story was. Boss man, if he was here, he could tell you more of the story, but, um, guy Commissioned this thing to be built from a, I'm guessing a Penske truck or something, just judging by a couple different things. Like it looked like a rental truck as far as like the stickers in the dash and diesel fuel only on the de- fuel tanks and right, things. The ru- rudest and crudest seats. Right. Um, so we got this thing and someone had put this coach body on it and it had all these manuals and stuff that were with it. It had... All these high-end parts had solid maple or oak cabinets put in it, which if you know anything about campers, they're put together with cardboard, shoestring, and glue and zip ties. Um, they made these super solid wood you know, cabinets. They had tile floor in the bathroom, and they had like an emacerator toilet that would like chew up the waste and shoot it into the holding tank which most campers just is a whole over holding tank and it had it didn't come with it but it came with the manual for like a central vacuum came with the manual for a dishwasher and washer and dryer and it like somehow had lost interest in the project or guy went bankrupt and sold it and changed hands a bunch of times and we ended up with it and we turned into a pretty nice rig, but I just remember everything we went to do on this thing, we turned around and there was just something else that was screwed up with it. It had like 588 rear gears in it and it was fine, but 55 mile an hour is all the more you'd go and we don't drive that slow. So I remember we had to change the rear end gears in it. Um, the whole toilet situation was kind of a nightmare. Um, I think it was 
a one inch exit line coming from the toilet out to the holding tank and the holding tanks weren't even fully installed. They were just, you know, ones you buy raw, you have to cut your own hole in them and, and for the return and the, the dump. And I just remember every time we turned around, something else was biting us, biting us in the ass the wiring was all screwed up and, and I don't really know what they were trying to accomplish when they were going after this thing, but that's probably why the project was never finished was because they were trying to do it way too nice for what it was. Um, but we ended up finishing it we used it a couple times. Um, we took it to Utah once and we took it to King of the Hammers once, which, uh, Fuck you, Ryan Brandt. Next episode or future episode will be KOH, and a future episode will be the trip from hell in that toter going to uh, Utah. Right, so, which every time you took it west of the Mississippi, it broke down. Yeah. So, pro tip: if you have a oil-driven injection system on your diesel, yeah, let's why put an injection pump on it? Let's use oil and electricity. It'd yeah. Be perfect. Yeah. yeah, that'll work out for us. Yeah. So, um. And then I've got a bunch of just little ones. I, I bought diesel trucks with huge stacks in them before. Um, I remember I had a Grand Cherokee that the receiver hitch was rusted so tight, I took the pin out. Yes. And I tied the receiver hitch to a giant maple tree in my front yard, four-wheel drive, launched it with a uh, snatch em strap. And it put me over the... I mean, I'm surprised it didn't go through the windshield of this thing. It bent the receiver hitch into a giant V. Still still didn't. The insert never came out of the receiver hitch. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Oh, man. So Rust welding. So it's it's a thing. I mean, they talk about like in... Like heavy duty trucks, they talk about like uh, rust jacking is is a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, between the frame rails. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know Mother Nature is is a is a damn thing. You know, back to that that house we looked at. You know, there was a show on History Channel a while back. I don't remember what the name of it was. It was basically like if humans disappeared tomorrow, how long would it take for everything to go back to nature? And mm-hmm they estimate, you know, like here's what New York city looked like in 50 years or whatever. And I'm here to tell you mother nature will come get its shit in a freaking hurry. Like if you're, if you're not actively fighting mother nature tooth and nail, it's, you are going to lose your shit. This house had been sitting empty for 10 years. Um, it was so well sealed up that it had, you know, moisture problems because the heat and cold summer, winter and everything, the drywall tape was coming off the walls never leaked inside but the moisture just from temperature changes and being sealed up with no ventilation no one living in there just ruined the drywall you know um this brand new wood rotting off the side of the you know the little dormers over the windows and stuff and this beautiful brand new deck that was you know covered in moss and this whole property grown up in weeds and brush and stuff that at one time was a beautiful yard you know nice manicured grass i'm sure and just in a couple years it looks like prairie land i mean just huge wheat grass and stuff and it just you know my house if i don't clean the gutters every year there's maple trees and oak trees growing in my gutters like mother nature is you know and my girlfriend made a good point she's like you know it's 
like a foreign object. Like your your whatever you have that's yours in nature is a foreign object to nature. Just like if you have a splinter or something in your body, it's a foreign object to your body. Your body's going to attack it with a vengeance and get it out of there. And she, you know, your house is the same way. It's going to grow shit up around it. If you don't keep the weeds cut, it's going to literally destroy the foundation of your home with roots. You know, it just, it blows my mind that stuff can just become without, you know, any outside. Well, well, nature has a balance. You know, they always talk about the balance of nature. And I was reading a thing about what kills turkeys. I forgot. It was some kind of art. It was a podcast. It was like a, a Habitat podcast. They were saying that they predicted that, you know, like predatory birds kill quail and pheasant and turkeys. So in Kansas, the, a university did a study and so many square miles, let's say 10 square miles, they killed every predatory bird they could find. Hawks, and I mean, mostly hawks would be your only thing. They killed them all. Well, the, the population of game birds went down. And they're like, well, what happened? Well, there was nothing eating snakes anymore. So now there was an explosion of the snake population. So, yeah. which the snakes started eating the eggs of the birds. Like, the, nature just has a balance and... Well, that happened in Australia, and I'm sure Uppy, who's on TikTok, and both Nick McCormick can probably tell the story a lot better, but I'm going to butcher it because I didn't do any research before this podcast, but, you know, late 1800s. I mean, why would we? Yeah, why would we? Late 1800s, um, so the British colonized Australia, turned into a prison, and uh, basically anybody, they didn't like shipping down there. Well, they started farming down there, and they're like, oh... Well, what's going on? You know, these, you know, I think it was the, what it was the, the dingo or something. They introduced a foreign species into Australia and basically the, there was no natural predator to that species and it exploded. So then. Are you sure you're not thinking New Zealand? Am I thinking New Zealand? Well, cause there's the, the, there's the dingo fence in Australia. Okay. They're like, let's build a freaking fence from one end of the continent to the other and keep these basically coyotes um, on the other side. And basically on the side where there's dingoes, like no kangaroos live. And on the side where there's no dingoes, like kangaroos are like a nuisance. They're like freaking hornets. And there's videos yes. of people getting in literal fist fights <laughs> with kangaroos. <laughs> and kangaroos are supposed to be some bad motherfuckers. They are. They are. I mean, they're have you jacked. Seen, they're yeah. jacked. Have you seen that one where like it's got the guy's hunting dog, and it's like got this hunting dog by its neck, and the guy walks up and just punches it, it, it right in the face, it out. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, man. Australia, that's yeah. a hell of a drug. Yeah. So Uppy, if you're listening, yeah, the, yeah Australia, they say their uh, their their uh, native language is screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, it's it's good shit. It's good shit. Oh, we went off the rails there for a second. That's the so name of the game. Let's buddy. go back to I had a YJ with a LS out of a '98 Pontiac Trans Am and a 4L. 60e put in it by somebody else gave up on the project i bought it me and jason did the wiring went to fire it up fired up put it in gear nothing didn't move at all 
Well, I guess on a 4L60E and a lot of GM transmissions, overdrive transmissions, there's three splines you have to engage with the torque converter. And they did not get the torque converter put all the way in in this Jeep. And when you fire it up, if it's not all the way engaged, boom, blows the pump in the transmission yep. immediately. And that happened. So that was a hard learning lesson. And then thought, well, you know, I'm, you know, 21 years old. I've got three cents to my name. So let's rebuild this transmission myself. So I think I tore up more stuff trying to pour, pull that 4L60E out by myself. And I finally took it to somebody and they fixed it and it was fine. But we definitely make sure that torque converter is all the way in on everything we ever do. So that was MIB, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I remember that Jeep. That was a cool Jeep too. That was on, that one went on the infamous worst wheeling trip ever. Yes. That'll be another episode, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Ryan. Yeah. Um, We got to make 52 of these a year, so... We, we, we got to keep hinting at the future content. So yes. Do you or, have any or other it may never show up? You never know. We may um, get, we may get canceled. You never know. We can only hope <laughs> the last thing on my list. And I'm sure there's way more is I bought a red Fox body Mustang from a customer. And he said that the carburetor is just too big. Built this car really nice, you know, 85 Fox body Mustang Carburetor's too big. When you step on the gas, it backfires, pukes, spits. If you lean, if you barely lean into it, it runs fine. Don't have time to mess with it. Come get it out of my garage. So I ended up going and getting it, and I was like, well, let's check timing. And you unplug the vacuum advance on the distributor to check timing, and the, it wouldn't even run Okay. after I did that. So come to find out, they set timing with the vacuum advance plugged in plugged in so if you know anything about cars whenever you floor it your vacuum all goes away which your vacuum advance would then leave and then it had negative timing okay so i fixed that and then he said it wasn't shifting well so i found out that the short throw shifter and those mustangs have stops built into them so you can't like over shift which i guess is really hard on them okay so the shifter itself has like like set screws that screw out and hit the shifter rod. And that was just not adjusted properly. So an afternoon of tinkering with this car, it was good to go. And dude, I sold that thing for way too, like I sold for like $4,200. Why so low? That's just what it brought at the time. Mm. So I should have kept it. You should have, like a lot of stuff. So going back to runs like shit. That like my '74 Dart we talked about in an earlier episode with the retarded cam. The guy didn't realize yes. that there was like a circle, triangle, and a square that indicated which keyway on the actual crank gear uh, you would use to install the camshaft, either straight up, I think three degrees retarded or three degrees advanced, and then there's their normal timing marks on the gear, and they ignored the timing marks and they used the keyway marks which resulted in like we were talking about a super sick nasty idol but it just would never rev up or anything like that so i guess what we're saying is if you're gonna build some shit know what you're doing it the internet will teach you anything you want to know girlfriend gives me a hard time all the time if i need to do something just youtube it 
Yeah. Like literally there's a YouTube video for everything. I My dryer over here quit getting warm one day. And instead of buying a brand new dryer, I took my voltmeter out and realized that there's a little fuse that if the dryer yeah, like gets a, too hot. Yeah, like a high-end limit switch. Yeah, it, it, it blows that fuse and it shuts the burners off because it's a gas dryer. Well, you probably you're probably drying a comforter or something. No, you? no, I have a critter catcher vent cover on the outside of my dryer vent, and it caught enough dryer lint over a couple of year span that it wasn't allowing the exhaust to ah. vent. So it got so hot, blew that fuse. Bought a freaking I don't know six dollar fuse off of eBay or Amazon mm-hmm. or something. Fixed the dryer, you know, two thousand dollar dryer, and fixed it with YouTube. You know, I fixed her microwave yeah. at home with YouTube. But shout out to people who put shit on YouTube. Yeah, thanks you, for that. You're the real MVP. They are because, I mean, I, I like to talk a lot of shit because, like, I'll, I'll be looking at something like how to, how to do something. And, like, I don't need to know what your kid's name is. I don't need to know why you're doing the video. Just show me the shit I want to see. Like, I was trying to do the turn signal bulb <laughs> in my Volkswagen. Like, shut up. I don't care why your turn signal blew. Just show me how to get the damn thing out. But That's at least thanks. Yeah, my, th- my son, you know, he just left the turn signal on just a little bit too long. <laughs> he was going to prom. And yeah. His girlfriend, she's real pretty. I'm glad they're real happy together. It's, <laughs> it's like recipes. You know what I mean? Like recipe. You got the old oh, door. I just want to know yeah. how long <laughs> I need to cook the spaghetti squash for. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know about your family form and... Yeah, buying Christmas treats. All right. So yeah, like I think I saw something on Facebook about that. Like I want to do a Netflix, uh, like drama about a serial killer who confesses to all his crimes in the blog in front of his uh, <laughs> recipes. recipes. <laughs> because no one reads that shit. Like I don't care what inspired you to make this meatloaf. Just tell me how much breadcrumbs I need with yeah. my meat. Like come on. Yeah, my Nana Wheezy, she she always made this, you know, on a cold the first the first winter day, you know. Oh my god. Just come on. So anyway, but still, at least they're putting the content on there for you to look at. Yeah, you're the real MVP. So all the all that to say is the tech tip for the day is we've gone on long enough and if you're going to build some shit, do it right. And That's if you not don't 1985 anymore. Just get on the freaking internet, and it's it's easier than that now. I mean, when Dozer and I were getting started in Jeeps, we had to have Pirate 4x4, and there was a real risk of getting flamed on Pirate 4x4 yeah. for asking a stupid question. Now, like, it's celebrated. I mean, there's certain Facebook groups that, you know, it's almost a joke, like, what tire size can I run with a fucking two-inch yeah. lift on my blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, but... So, short story long... There's no excuse for hacker anymore. Just... Build your shit. That way, when I buy it for yes. a discount after, you know, you don't have money for cigarettes or whatever, that way I don't have to unscrew up as much as I normally would. Yeah. We're looking for deals here. So. Uh, we've went off the rails. We've talked about dingoes and. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask if you're done, but I'm just going to make it done. Okay. Just, so. All right. So we're going to wrap this one up, guys. So tell us about some stupid shit you found on a vehicle you've bought. Yes. So email us, give us some feedback, text us, Facebook us. I don't give a shit. Just get a hold of yeah. us. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> Ask ASK short story long at gmail.com. Um, glad you're with us and uh, we'll see you on the next one. We'll see you guys.